<laughs> okay. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. And this one, oh my word. Kristen Bell has made the journey to the back house, 30 or 40 feet, and I am going to interview this fascinating woman. So welcome. Thank you. And this is take three, maybe even take four of this episode. <laughs> right. Because in, I think, either take one or take two, I began by saying, and Kristen Bell is here in the, in the back house, and then I proceeded to talk about what we're going to do this weekend with zero point to it, just rambling, and Kristen's <laughs> watching me. <laughs> like, where is this going? <laughs> Like a slow motion car accident, and I'm watching you, and 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 it's that thing you, when the person's watching you, and instead of like leaning forward, like to offer a helping hand, like to interject some commentary, Kristen, you're just sitting there listening to me, and then we're gonna watch some NBA games. Then Kristen's threatening to make a curry, which I'm so excited about. You're just watching, like I wonder. Like, okay, where- this is your podcast. <laughs> That's why it's called the Robcast. <laughs> oh, my word. You were sitting like three feet away. You're sitting like three feet away, and I was so lonely. Um, now, uh, in the best sense, the reason why we're going to interview Kristen Bell is because this week, Kristen and I uh, observed, celebrated 24 years of marriage. Right. So this episode is called Kristen Bell on the 2-4, because that just feels like the right thing to call it. And I, for some reason, I had this question about something she said recently. It, it was so, well, we'll get to it in a second. And I thought, I should do, I should ask her, I should interview her about that thing that happened. Then I thought of something else that happened. Then I thought of something she said, and all of a sudden, I was like, wait, interviewing your partner of 24 years is an absurd premise already, but then recording it and making it public is just a double down on the ridiculousness. And that's when I knew we should do this because it's it's just such an absurd premise and I love it. Right. This morning you presented the idea to me. Yes. And I thought, huh, I wonder what kind of questions he has. Right. This could be fun. I gotcha. I hooked you. You're in. Yeah. Um, oh, well, the first question, um, I'm going to go do nine cities in England, Ireland's... Uh, Scotland and Wales in July. The rumor is you'll be joining me. Yes, I will. Uh, and some kids are coming along, but you're coming along as well. I am. I can't wait. Okay, good. Question I number love, one. I, I love the UK. I'm excited about traveling around again. We were there once when the boys were young for three weeks. Yeah. Um, and we've been a couple times, but that was like the the big trip. This feels... Otherwise, Similar I've to just that gone, one. just me. Um, there's also a rumor about I have a Largo show coming up. Um, I think that rumor's true. That, yes, there's a rumor <laughs> that you might show up at that, too. Oh, I see. Yes, I'll be there. Oh, no way. Oh, yeah. this is the best already. I'm, I'm, all right, this, these questions are fantastic. Now, um, thirdly, <laughs> I would like to talk about the rug on the back patio. We have like this outdoor patio has like a like an awning there's a couch some chairs i was gone i think for two days a month ago and i came back and there was a rug 
An outdoor rug. An outdoor rug. I've been looking for one for a while. And uh, somewhere in the course of mentioning the rug, Kristen said that there was one. This one is like a, a neutral tone with greens in it, but she mentioned they also made one that was neutral with blues in it. And I right. said... And do you know they make those out of recycled water bottles? Do they really? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Okay. So you just like spray it off. But it, but it's nice. It you feels can spray like that rug. thing? Yeah, yeah. That's how you're supposed to clean it. You're supposed to like spray it with a hose or something. It's an outdoor rug, but it doesn't, doesn't feel like... like an outdoor rug. Oh, I'm learning all sorts of things. I know. Now, I, in passing, said something along the lines of, oh, they make that in because it was purchased and installed and laid down there while I was gone I said something like oh they make it in blue as well and you said yes and when this one wears out feel free to go get one in blue (laughs) (laughs) now I felt like you were saying a hundred things to me in that moment and I'm wondering how much of that I'm going to call it a retort was planned did you know I would comment on this? Were you essentially saying to me, just get it out of your head that we're taking that rug back to get the blue one? <laughs> oh, man. I do think it was kind of symbolic. Ah. Because I, I think in our 24 years together, you tend to be more verbal about how you feel about things. Is that fair to say? That's not okay, a I'm, I'm looking at your face. I don't think there's like, one person listening to this going, no way. <laughs> and my nature is to want everybody around me to be happy. Um, yeah. So I would say in the past, our, our home, because we have, we tend to remodel whatever home we're living in. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. I mean, yes. it's fun, but it's also it Brutal. can be, yeah, it can be difficult as well. Um, so I just think we've had a lot of experiences where you tend to have stronger opinions about things, and so I just go along with it. But I was really inspired when we stopped at that shop on the way to Santa Barbara, the sacred space. Ah, uh, yeah. And they have all of the the store itself has this incredible outdoor space. Yeah. It's um, it's like a bookstore, gift shop, meditation space. They created it Temple. as like a like as a destination. Like you'd be on a trip and you would, yeah. Let's stop at Sacred Space and yeah. They offer you free tea and you can. Is it like, the most astonishing store you've ever been in? Um, well, I guess in that category of store, yeah. It, it was just very special. Like you walk in and you feel transported. Yes. I felt the and, same And uh, you walk in and the people who work there immediately offer you a cup of tea for mm-hmm. free, which kind of sets the tone. And um, yeah, you just wander in among these rooms with candles and stuff you can purchase and things that inspire you and then but the the, but the part that really inspired me was the outdoor space they have all these i don't know what the word is i'm thinking like pagoda Mm -hmm. um these like kind of covered patio areas that have lots of plants and pillows and it just makes you feel like you want to sit and meditate and you, you 
at least I look at that. Feel like yeah. you I look at that and I think, oh, the meditation that I could do if I only had that, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny because the whole idea of meditation is that you you go beyond your thoughts. So technically you should be able to do it anywhere. But, um, but at the same time, environments do affect you. Yes. So anyway, I, I got inspired. Like we have this back patio. I, I could add things to make it feel like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had had it in my head for a while. I had had this vision of what I wanted to do. And um, I realized how, I don't even, I don't even know how to put it into words, but how much of our home kind of had your more masculine stamp on it because you're more verbal about what you like. Like we don't live in the kind of house where there's lots of fringy, fluffy, (laughs) (laughs) um, you have a strong aesthetic, which is great. Um, you love architecture, design, uh, so it's been rare in our 24 years that I've just said, no, this is what I want. I don't really care if you don't like it. So, yes, look, I love this. All these layers in that one response. Keep going. Right. So there was a bit of that. Like uh, when you were gone for the weekend, I got inspired to go and, and create our pagoda or at least add some things to it and found this rug that I loved and I knew it was a risk to buy it without you, but I bought it and I cut off the tags so it was unreturnable. <laughs> and, but it was significant to me. I love it. Because it was like a, no, we're going to, this is going to be different. Like I know we've kind of operated, I don't even know if that's the right phrase because it wasn't like an agreement. It's just sometimes in a relationship you fall into like a, well, a essentially. Way of, who cares things. more? Does one of who cares more? So you care more about that sort of thing. Whoever cares more, the other one sort of naturally defers. Like, I don't care what color it is. Oh, you do really care? Fine, we'll do it that. Um, it's just sort of the, the, the right, back. Right, there's and a forth. give and take. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But in this situation, I just had this like, no, this is what I want. And so so you tell me how you heard that. I just felt, I loved it. I love it how it is. It's so much better. And that comment, it was so quick, and it was so sharp, and it was so effective. Like, uh, do, they, do they make one in blue? It's almost like you just, you just thin-sliced a world of, oh, he's essentially... <laughs> asking, can we take it back and get a different color? Or can he see the other options? And you were like, yes, it does. And when this one wears out, you can go back and buy the blue one to replace it, which is going to happen in like 50 years. It was just such a perfect, it was just perfect. <laughs> but it said something to you. What did it, what did it say to you when I responded that way? Because obviously it stood out to you. It was, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Dif- was it different? Yeah. And I, re- and I loved it. It was like you going, uh, it was like you going, this is how it's going to be, deal with it. And I loved it. I loved it. It was wow. like, it was strong and 
It was kind of badass. It was kind of alpha, and I loved it. That's what I'm saying. And I picked up, like, oh, this is something. Because all that stuff that you've done there, well, every, everywhere around here, the stuff that you've done, I, 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 I really do love it. Because I'm, like, so hyper stark, minimal... You know what I mean? I'd have like right. Like if it a, were up to you, we'd live in a cement box. Oh, like with a Rick Owens, like and, a a thing, and people be like, "What's that rock doing?" I'd be like, "That's the couch." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it looks really cool, but can't What's sit that in it. Pile for very in the long. corner. That's the art. Yeah. Okay. N- um. Thank you. That was that was extremely illuminating. I don't know if it was for anybody else. <laughs> no, but it was for you. But I loved it. Okay, number two. I want to talk about on. We we had gone to buy cake pops at Starbucks for our daughter's birthday party because that's what she wanted everybody to have is cake pops. Right. And so the one place didn't have enough cake pops, so we drive to a second Starbucks to buy cake pops. Right. I pull up on Beverly there, and you and Violet go out and go in and buy the cake pops. Right. You all come out and get in the car. And you get in the back seat, and sh- and our nine-year-old daughter rides in the front, gets in the front seat. But somehow, in the course of her grabbing hold of the door to climb into the car, and you closing your door, her finger got caught in the back door, and your door closed on her finger. Right. I want. Uh, first of all, it was her birthday. Yes. So it felt appropriate for her to ride in the front seat. Absolutely. But it's, yeah, it's kind of an unusual thing that we're running. I mean, you're like illegally parked so that we can run into Starbucks. So we're running out um, to get in the car really quickly. I shut the door. She's still getting in and she starts screaming. Yes. And like my, shrieking. My first thought is there's a bee in the car <laughs> because she tends to be afraid of things like spiders and bees. I don't know why that was the first thing that came into my mind, but she's screaming. The d- my door shut, and I yell. Well, oh. and then she yells, "Open the door!" So I opened the door and realized that her fingers had gotten shut in my door. Yes. And your first and reaction at that point, was, "I yell." <laughs> Is it still attached? <laughs> yes. Yes, you're just trying to like, you know, bring. <laughs> calm everything down, make rational decisions, figure out what we're going to do next. But you scream, (laughs) are her fingers still attached? Okay. They were. They were. And she, her hand, finger hurt for a little while and then she was fine. But later, my question for you is, why did you make fun of me? laughing so hard because now I realize why is that such a weird thing question for me to ask why did you make fun of me for yelling is it (laughs) because you seriously went to worst case scenario (laughs) are they still attached I'm crying I'm laughing so hard but I, I why is that a weird question to ask I don't know if it's weird. It was unusual for you because you tend to be like, you know, mind over matter. Everything's fine. Um, like, don't make a big deal until it's a big deal. Don't think about hypothetical situations. You're like, you 
you pretty much stay calm about things and tend to underreact. Like, oh. oh, you're not sick. You can go to school. You're not sick. Yeah, that's true. Or um, you're injured. I, I think you've actually said to Violet, walk it off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is probably what your dad said to you. Yeah. Walk it off. So in that moment, like we're, we're getting ready for her birthday party. We're trying to do this fun, special, like get cake pops from Starbucks. <laughs> There's there's a an incident and your first reaction is to go to the absolute worst case scenario. Her fingers got chopped off and we're going to spend the rest of the day at the ER getting them sewn back on. Okay. <laughs> That's helpful. Just later in the day when you told the boys, uh-huh, <laughs> you could not stop laughing. And it makes me it does make me laugh. But I feel like I was <laughs> well. The second part of the story is that Uh-oh. it turns out that only her little finger got caught in the door. It looked mm-hmm. like all of them got caught in the yeah. door, but when she told us later, it was only her little finger. She, her middle finger has like a funny bend in it. It kind of bends back a little bit, like the joints a little funny. You grabbed that finger and you were like the middle finger that didn't even get caught in the door and you're like oh that's for sure broken (laughs) so not only did you think that her fingers were cut off but a finger that wasn't even caught in the door was now for sure broken so it was just the whole situation (laughs) I don't know why uh, it made me laugh when you were making fun of me that day, and it makes me laugh even harder now. Okay. Oh, well, goodness. do you think you laugh more about yourself now than you did 24 years ago when we started? I feel like you and I were laughing from the get-go, yeah. but yes. Yeah, and the kids are so quick to laugh at me that if you don't with them just join in the laughing at me, like if I was like, if I if you weren't really good at laughing at yourself, you'd just be cooked. Yeah, you have to be a pretty strong person to be able to laugh at yourself. You have to be pretty secure in who you are. And well, I feel like the, our kids just have my number. Yeah, I think that's kind of why kids join our lives. <laughs> One yeah. of the reasons, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. They they're they're great teachers. I do actually feel like they're teachers. Like they keep. I feel like they keep us or me you have to be so limber and it's like your ego has to be so pliable yeah i think sometimes they show you the things that you would rather not see like the other okay question number three i'm still fuzzy on what happened the other morning when you and trace were in the kitchen uh-huh. and i was out <laughs> at the street right which, and i was like greeting somebody <laughs> And, <laughs> and Trace. I mean, it's a good quality to have, but you're a very friendly person. <laughs> and and um, you're in the kitchen with the front door closed. I'm out at the street. Right. And we can hear you greeting somebody. I yeah. don't know if they were across. They must have been across the street because your greeting <laughs> was the volume was turned up to 11 (laughs) 
And it was like a, hey, how you doing? How are your kids? What's going on? Like, like, you just, there were lots of questions and they were at full volume. <laughs> and this was at like eight o'clock in the morning when things are still a little <laughs> quiet. And I think when you came back in, Trace what did said, Trace say he said re- something along the lines of, if you had done that to me, I would have taken that as an act of aggression. (laughs) 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 Oh. Yeah. So I think, yeah. It was just your exuberance. Man, oh man, oh man. Okay, so now that we've covered uh, you laughing at me, um, you mentioned... Uh, meditation a moment ago. Right. And I've observed that you have a regular practice of meditation. Te- can you help me understand how you quiet your mind? How quiet does it get up there when you're meditating? How much monkey mind do you have? How quiet, how still does it get? Because you've been doing this for a while. So right. I'm- Honestly, it depends on the day. Okay. It depends on what time of day I do it. It depends on how many things have already like gotten into my head to like stir it all up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, I think that's why a lot of people or meditation teachers often say you should meditate first thing in the morning because it's usually when your your mind already is the quietest. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the idea of meditation is is just that you get a taste of it. So that you know what it feels like to have a quieted mind. You know, then you can compare like what it feels like to have a quieted mind mm-hmm. to what it feels like to have when you're at your your craziest, busiest, anxiety spinning. Um, and I think sometimes you you get that taste, so you know what you're you know what you're after. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a good motivator because meditation can be discouraging, especially when you sit down. I find when I sit down, um, when I'm already upset about something or at the end of the day where I'm, I'm just in that more of that thinking, problem solving, juggling mode, it's a lot harder to find that stillness. But sometimes in the morning or sometimes for me, it happens like at the end of a yoga practice. Mm -hmm. Because in yoga, it's like a whole hour of somebody guiding you through different poses where hopefully you're present in your body. You're thinking about the poses. You're not thinking about what you have to do later or the issue you have with so-and-so or you're not thinking about, hopefully you're not thinking about stressful things. You're thinking about the poses. And there's also something about something that's physically challenging that you have to breathe through that helps quiet your mind. And just, I I, I honestly think it's just, it's a process. So it's a quieter mind. And I know probably, you know, people who have been doing it a really long time do find that space of, being detached from their body. Um, but I'm, 
I think I'm one of those people who for a long time said, I can't meditate. My mind's too busy. I, I have a monkey mind. I'm just not one of those people that can do it. So I try to just celebrate the, what, the what little made progress. You, what made you stick with it? What made you stay at it? Well, I think for one, how often the spiritual teachers that I respect all say like, this is, this is the way, this is the path. And then some of the stuff I've studied, um, some of the research, just on what's happening in the brain when you quiet it, I just became convinced um, that a huge part of our anxiety is is the mind and how it can spin out of control. And that, I'm trying to think, I think maybe... That's well said. Eckhart Tolle was one of the first ones that... I mean, a lot of spiritual teachers do this, but but helps you, helps you like have a more over, a, like a bird's eye view of your mind and you realize that um, your mind is very helpful to you. I mean, we, we need it to do the things we do in life, but it's not a good master. Yeah. So if you can be the witness of your mind, if you can observe it, just that action of stepping back and observing what your mind is doing, then your higher consciousness, your higher self now is the master. Got it. So I think it's it's a process of like feeling like you're not in control of your thoughts to feeling like you have a little bit of control of your thoughts. It's almost like you are building the muscle to be able to stand just a millimeter above that swirl of thoughts or two millimeters or three mil just... All you need is a tiny gap in order to look and witness and observe the swirling. So when someone says, oh, I'm so stressed, you meditate so that you can see, oh, how much of that your mind is creating. And that little bit of distance relieves some of that stress. Yes. And I think it's one of those things that as you do it, you start to see the benefits of it. Because there's so many benefits. Like I think you, when you, when you quiet your mind, you learn to tune into a deeper wisdom. Mm -hmm. Like I think so often, and I can relate this to our 24 years of marriage. So often we made quick decisions. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, or you make decisions based on like pros and cons, maybe what other people think, you get other people's advice. Um, but I think throughout our years, we've made decisions that later were like, oh, why did we do that? If we had only stopped and tuned in and quieted. Yeah. Why did we feel the urgency that we did in that situation? Why did we let that person make us think that we had to make a decision urgently? in the moment. Because later we were like, we didn't have to make that decision then. It wasn't even a good decision. We could have waited. Right. Ah, uh, got it. So for you, your meditation... 
Well, hold on a sec, because I, I, I think Oprah says something like, if you have, if you're not sure, then the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not sure, then the answer is wait. Like, quiet your mind, go inward, try to listen to that inner voice, that still small, quiet, truth-telling voice. Yeah. Um, that was my, that's actually the next thing here I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I have here, you often use the word intuition, and I've noticed more and more and more, especially over the past decade, and especially over the past couple of years, you don't take any steps forward without any decisions, without, uh, you'll talk about checking in with your intuition. You, uh, it, it, it looks to me like you have built up this extraordinary practice of patience where you listen to your deepest self. Uh, it feels like there's like clear lines of communicate. Like you're able to hear something nine layers deep and you don't take any step forward until there is alignment there. And I've noticed how many times you don't have any rush to make a decision and you never just go, oh, okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, where did that come from? And how would you explain that? If someone said, what do you mean by intuition? How would, how would you describe it? Because I feel like you're a master at this. Well, in some ways, I think this goes back to your opening story about the rug. <laughs> um, it's been a long journey for me to to trust my inner voice or, yeah. or intuition. And I used to, I mean, I think a lot of it was the culture that I grew up in, um, not really valuing women as leaders or there was kind of like a, there's, Men can just do certain things better. That's that's the culture that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it comes to leadership and making decisions. Um, so, so there were a number of times in our in our marriage where we made decisions where I had a strong feeling that we shouldn't do something. Yeah, but I didn't trust it. Yeah. And I thought that you knew better than me. I thought that you were more connected to the divine or God. At that time, I would have said God. Or there was like this whole belief like that God wanted us to do certain things. And sometimes it involves sacrifice. And God wants you to sacrifice. Um, that it's part of building character. These were all things that, these were all beliefs that I absorbed along the way. And so we got into some situations. The one I'm thinking about was was living on Fifth Street. Yeah, where I find I found myself really depressed. You like violated what? Yeah, I knew it. You and looking, knew it. Looking yeah. back, I can see that I knew it, but I I didn't listen because I assumed that other people and you and 
whatever this um, concept of God I had of the time, like yeah. everybody knew better than me. There you go. There you go. Ev- that like a deep mistrust yes. of what your deepest sense was telling you. So how long ago was that? 10 years ago? Yeah. I feel like that decision ended up being very painful for me because I ended up in in a place of depression. Yeah. And really beating myself up over it. Cuz you knew. Well, not only cuz I knew but but like uh beating myself up because it's like why can't I just overcome this? Do you know what I mean? Like we were in a situation and it didn't feel right to me. And I was like, why can't I just like pull myself oh, up by oh, my bootstraps oh, right. okay. and overcome this? Just push through. Push through. But I couldn't. Uh, it was almost like it. that same like it, intuition, body knowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Higher intelligence that resides within me was like, I'm not going to let you. <laughs> it's almost like if you override your deepest inner wisdom, then your deepest inner wisdom goes, you unplugged me when you <laughs> yeah. stopped listening to me, so you're on your own. You're, you're, you're floating around disconnected from yourself, yeah. from the divine, from inspiration, from possibility, from even like love and acceptance because in the midst of this, I was beating myself up. Like... A strong person would be able to do this. I so, think so then I think looking back on it, I mean, we got through all of that. I mean, I, I finally got so miserable. I just had to tell you, like, I can't. I can't yeah. do this anymore. And so then we made changes. But there have been, been a couple times like that in our life where I've gotten so miserable I can think of only two but where I've gotten so miserable I've just said Rob I can't do this anymore I'm so sorry but I can't because again going back to the rug thing I'm wired I mean I guess it could be I don't I don't know if I want to say I'm wired but I have I have a desire to make everybody around me happy and I think it becomes dysfunctional when it comes at the cost of making myself happy. Like, I need to make myself happy first, and then if I can make others happy... Bonus. Bonus. But um, it, for, most, for most of our marriage, it was the other way around. I was just wanting to make everybody happy, and my own happiness came last. Um, and I just found myself in some situations that I couldn't just muscle through because it, my observation is that that was like a turning point for that pain something within you is like never again will i bypass yeah it's almost like i will i bypass those uh gauges on the dashboard well i think um, that's the beautiful thing about those kind of painful situations is because there's such strong learning moments yeah like I was like, I never want to be in that kind of situation again. Yeah. And so if that's the case, then I need to learn how to listen. Yeah. And it's been a process. Like first you have to learn how to quiet all the 
the voices in your head, the beliefs, the like, sometimes you have to question the beliefs that you've just kind of absorbed yeah. through your culture. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the masters talk about a practice and I understand now why it's called a practice. It's because you, when you do it over time, you make these little incremental um yeah 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 because it appears to me i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no go ahead it, it just appears to me like you've become a master i think it's really significant and it's really really shaped me i feel like you've become a master at listening for the deeper wisdom and it's shaped the way i move now because i neither of us do anything and together we don't do anything unless we've both listened unless it's total alignment total flow airtight integrity this is clearly the next best step to take like our whole life is like this now like it yes. used to be we do stuff and then later we'd be like why did we what were we thinking i guess we didn't want to just let that person down or it just felt like it and now it feels like we almost never have those experiences because it feels like we're moving so much slower in the best sense of the word. And it's completely transformed the way I think about decision-making and how you move in the world because of what how your pain brought about such changes in the way that you went about things. Right. I mean, I would say every once in a while I fall back into like something small where I rush ahead because I just want to get it done. Um, I'm thinking about some painters that I just hired. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, I mean, sometimes you think like, well, this applies with the big decisions, but I would never like... I don't want to sit around and like, run every single decision all day long through through this whole like process. slow process because like you got to live. Well, you gotta, and I think we're also at least I am. I'm sometimes I just want to get things done. Yeah. But in this last situation where I just wanted to get this job done and I hired painters, it ended up costing me a lot of time and energy because of them not being good painters and made a lot of mistakes and I mean, et cetera, et cetera. So I, it just got reaffirmed for me. Mm. No, this process, like it's true with every decision that you make. And I do think that our lives, we live with much more flow and ease. That seems to be every season that seems to be increasing. Mm-hmm. And I think you you do start to notice patterns. Like, oh, when... I, I, yeah. I'm not yeah, sure how to put no, that in No, no, no. I, I, no, it's, it's, it's really, really significant. And how many people you and I have interacted with who have questions and yet they already... They know exactly the answer to their questions. They just... Ha yeah, I was haven't just... learned to trust what their true self is telling them. It's shouting to them. Their bodies are shouting to them with a megaphone. Yeah, yes and I do think no. that sometimes people get 
stuck or they feel a little paralyzed because they know a situation is is stressful or too much, but it's like they don't know what to address first. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's important. I just told a friend of mine this because she was acknowledging that their work situation, they're just experiencing way too much stress and they need to make some changes. And I was telling her, I think the way you do it is you, um, you identify, you identify the first change. Like, like you're how to be here. You start with number one. Mm -hmm. Like you, you identify the first change and then you sit and you wait for the creative solution. But I do think sometimes it's just a matter of not feeling stuck. Like being in that space of there are creative solutions, there are possibilities. Um, it may not feel like this whole big thing can be solved and, and maybe it's going to take some time, but let's start with the one that we can identify or let's identify three. Yeah. Let's identify them and then let's kind of surrender it and wait for the creative solutions. And that's how it's felt in our life. And they always come. They do. And sometimes it takes longer than we, you'd like, but they do. They do. You start to learn that. Then you start to trust that, which reinforces the speed. Slow down. The solution right. will present itself. There's no rush. Anybody who's telling me there's a rush. Which I, which I think goes back to meditation, is that when you sit in that spot, even if it's just for 10 minutes a day, it is a spot of surrender. Like in those 10 minutes, everything's fine, even if it doesn't feel like it is. Yeah, all the work is done, even if it isn't. Right. In that space, in that present, breathing, surrender space, everything's fine and there are infinite possibilities. And see, that's what I notice, is you have been practicing this. You have been spending more and more time in a place of there uh, there are infinite possibilities in that space. So then it just spills over into the rest of your life, which spills over into my life, which spills over into our life. That's the way it works. That's great. Okay, I have another question based on this. I have heard you, because you're always dropping all these fascinating research and studies and things that you come across, but I've heard you mention neuroplasticity on a number of occasions. And your fascination, you're deeply compelled by this. So if somebody says, well, what's neuroplasticity? What's the most basic oh, explanation? Gosh. I feel like I'm still in the study mode. I don't know if I'm... Everybody's always Ready to articulate. We're all forever in the study mode. <laughs> there is no other mode of life. But how would you... Somebody's like, what's that? The brain can form new... Patterns, pathways? <laughs> I'm just going to start throwing stuff out. I know, because I talked to you about it in my state of studying. But you, um, but it no, feels I like th it's something that everybody should know that this is possible. Well, yes, I think it, it is what excites me about infinite possibilities, is that even our brains, 
they change throughout life. Depending on what, depending on what we practice, depending on what we expose ourselves to. And there's research on this. Depending on the thoughts that we think over and over again. Yeah, they, um, nerves, nerves are always making new connections and then connections that don't get used get pruned. It's called, it's actually called pruning. Um, But I think why this is exciting is that that the way you think, your um, your anxiety levels, your ability to meditate, your ability to like, I mean, the Bible talks about renewing your mind. There's science on the idea that you can renew your mind. And it's not a quick process. It's a slow process. Um, and I also think it, it makes us pause and give thought to the things that we do every day and how those are shaping our neural pathways. Um, how has this affected things you do every day? How is this, what has this showed you as possible? You, you're really asking me questions about stuff that's that's brand new to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it has felt like um, reading about this and, and looking and doing more research on it. Like, I feel like there's, there's a whole world right here yeah. that yeah, I want yeah, to yeah. dive into. Um, I mean, on a really practical level, I found out there's an app that you can um, you can do these exercises for your eyes so that you don't need reading glasses, which very much excites me because shortly after 40, I needed reading glasses and it drives me crazy like to not be able to read things. And this is legit? Like this is scientifically proven, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I'm going to do my own. I mean, I've read reviews of the app, mm-hmm. and some people have success, and some people don't. Um, but what we're learning is that you can retrain your brain. Well, I mean, it's it's what's been going on in brain rehab forever. Like when somebody has a stroke, when somebody has a head injury, um, if there's a if there's a certain spot of the brain that's bruised or 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 neurons die, like the the brain can rewire. I mean. So when you say something to somebody like, you know what, you could think about this in a whole new way. That's actually true. And when somebody's stuck in patterns of self-defeating, self-flagellation, putting themselves down, negativity, and they're like, I can't imagine, <coughs> excuse me, some other way of thinking about themselves, their capacities, their body, their relationships, their future. What we're now learning is that you can. Right. You can head in like a completely different direction. Neuroscience is actually showing that, that yeah, new connections form. Um, the, the brain can operate in, in different ways. It's, it's, yeah, plastic. It changes. 
Amazing. Okay. Um, I have a couple. Uh, well, I have to. I have one more question here. Um, we were at LACMA, Modern Art Museum, right here near our house, ladies and gentlemen, and Los Angeles Contemporary Muse- Museum of Art. You saw a giant. There's a giant white and black mural on that one wall upstairs. Right. And I don't know how much time you spent staring at it. And then we went back in and looked at it. And then we met up with Preston later. We went back. Tell me what I know. It I have was. the artist's name on my phone. But. Tell me what it was about that painting. Because I've noticed when you move, because we like to go to art galleries, you you move through an art gallery, things hit you, and you just get like, you get yeah. so into it. But in this like, almost like a zen-like, Meta, you into like this calm so, state of absorption. For me, there's so much art. Like when you go to an art gallery, there's so much, and I always walk through and and try to find the ones that move me at a deeper level than than the mind. Ah, uh, so you're listening. You're. It's almost like you're setting your rational analysis computations. You're like giving that, a, like, you know what? You just sit here and wait for me here. Well, yeah, um, I've, I find art, um, certain art is like a, a pathway to the transcendent. And so I feel like if I can look at a piece and go to that wordless place, like mm-hmm. no language, no words, just how does it make me feel? What does it, what does it do to me? Um, which I think is why I, I love the the Rothkos. Yeah, we and stared at that one for a he while. He even talks didn't we? about um, transcendence through color. Mm-hmm. Or that other woman who does the light blues and the yellows. That we yes. saw that whole exhibit of hers, and then we saw it again. And the boys like just flew through that room, and you right, were like, right. "No, wait, wait, wait! This is like the greatest thing ever." I feel like you could do classes on how to walk through an art museum, because. I feel like you. There's something about how you are able to calm the chatter and then listen from this other place. It's like you're listening from. You're like taking in the art from the heart or something. Word uh, wordlessness is helpful. Right. Um, well, I think. I think art is so much more than talent it's like it feels to me like these were people who were the great artists they were like they were way ahead of their time like they had a consciousness that was so much big it was i don't know it's uh, Mm -hmm. see even now it's so hard to put into words but there but there was something that was speaking through them and they made it and then we see it, and it has the ability to speak to us in in something that's beyond words and language. It's not irrational, it's just non-rational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so to go back to that, that black and white painting, I think it was called Reflections... I think it was called Reflections on Death. 
And it was, yeah, I, what can I, how can I put it into words? It was just, it moved me. It moved me. There was something about um, the painting captured the bigness of what we're all experiencing. Uh, the profound kind of life journey that we're all experiencing. It was like if you just zoomed way, way, way up and looked at looked at your life yeah, from the highest this? view. Yeah. yeah. That is beautiful. Okay, now one more thing to wrap things up. I noticed... We and I have talked about over when we did the Zimzum of Love tour. Around that time was when we first we would do like a Q and A together at some sort of event, and people would ask, "How do you stay on the same page?" Right. And you and I had this standard answer. Well, you know, you pass books back and forth, and I have my whole "Don't go to Africa twice without your partner." Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like people go and have peak experiences without their partner. Um, you don't have too many of those without your partner because you come back and you're trying to explain it to them if you're going to mm -hmm. go back to that place take them with you um, so we had like that answer mm -hmm. but then you and I noticed that our answer began to evolve from just you know make sure you're being exposed to the same ideas and do things like that answer which is fine and good and helpful that like you and I have been on this conversation for 25 years or something uh, it's like an endless conversation but then you and I talked about like a, a new answer emerging that when someone says, how do I stay on the same page with my partner? Um, I thought you put it, you had this way of talking about the magical other that I thought was, I think is so compelling as our sort of response to that question has evolved. Um, and how often when people ask, how do I stay on the same page with my partner? There's almost like a notion that people have to be disabused of. Yeah, I, I think within that question, it, it feels like there's a, there's a disappointment in there. Mm. Like, I wish things were different. I want to figure out how to make things different. Um, which also points to, like, there's something about my partner, if I were honest, that's, they're disappointing me. They're not keeping up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not, I, I don't think it's actually a posture that makes things better or heals things. Um, because it's, it's focusing on the lack instead of focusing on what's there. And Interesting. I do think that I, I do think that when you've been together for a long time and life happens and it's, it's easy, it's easy to blame your discontent on your partner and to identify what you feel like is lacking in them. If only they were this, this, and this, then I would be happy. Um, Which is turning your partner into the magical other. Exactly. And it's placing your joy in their hands. Exactly. And it's essentially a failure for, 
for you to grow up? Well, I think it's putting um, it's putting a weight and not a good weight, not like a kavod type weight, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's putting a weight on the marriage that the marriage was never meant to hold. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, because we're married, I feel like you need, you owe me this, or you need to be this, this, and this. Right. You're supposed to deliver these things. And if you don't, then I am deprived of something, and I then blame you. I'm held back. Um, yeah. Which is very different from spiritual maturity, which is owning your own path and your own joy. Yeah, and I do think, to use the word magical again, I think the magical thing that happens is that when you can let go of all your expectations of the other Mm -hmm. and focus on the things that you love about them, the things that you appreciate about them, the things that the things that you were caused, so were so excited about yeah, when you first got together caused you to originally fall for them, yeah. Which is what we talk about in Zimzum is like going back to that place in the beginning when you got together. Like there was a reason why you said, "I am going to make space in my life for you to thrive." I love you so much. There was yeah, there, there was, was there was something that was going on yeah. in that time. Something happened when your soul bumped into their soul. Something happened. And you were like, everything changed for me. And I, yeah. I, I, it's like I, I take joy in sacrificing for you. But I think what happens as time goes on is that you stop thinking about those things that you loved so much and you start focusing on the problems or, the la- or what you see as lack. What they aren't. And... I think what that does is it just gets you like in this really bad cycle. It gives you kind of these perspective glasses where you start seeing lack, you're going to see more lack. You're going to see even more. You're going to see even more. You're going to be even more disappointed. But if you can change those lenses to um, like, look at what we've created together. I love this about you. I love this about you. Like, we don't see this the same, but I'm actually really glad that you helped me see this differently. Um, like you may not, you may not like <laughs> the rug I picked out, <laughs> but you did come around, and you were like, "I'm so, I'm so glad you created this space. I love it." Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. You brought it back (laughs) around to to the the rug rug at the 59-minute mark. You brought it back to the rug. I couldn't have mapped this out (laughs) better. (laughs) Maybe you should call this episode, It's All About the Rug. Oh, that's pretty good, actually. That's actually even a really good title. Oh, that's a good, that is good. See, I knew that if I just started interviewing you, you'd say all these things that I've heard yeah, you say did, little bits did, and pieces, but you say it in one place. Did we wrap up the magical other? Well, y- yes. I think it's interesting how our response to that question has evolved. Yes. I think it's interesting how you and I started with, how do we stay on the same page? Well, ideas. 
Well, just make sure you're having similar experiences, and when you read something interesting, it, share it with Which them. Which I will say, I think we were scratching, we were on Absolutely. the surface level of Absolutely. of what's true, because when you Absolutely. when you share books, when you share ideas, when you share experiences, you tend to see that person in a positive light. You you tend to, yeah. I, I mean, speaking of research, I I remember seeing research that when you go on a double date with your spouse or when you're out with a group of people, you tend to view them differently because you start, maybe this was in social psychology, um, because you start to see them as, as others. other people see them. There's research on this. Fascinating. Yes. And I think it's fascinating how now, as our thinking has evolved, as we've learned more, when someone says, how... How do I get my spouse to keep up, or how do we stay on the same page? Or, and that's all—that's a beautiful question. We're much more likely to go, okay. First off, set your partner free from having to deliver some sort of thing to you. Um, you right. own your path, and you own your joy, and you go after your vitality. Um, do not place that on them. Right. Right, and when when a marriage actually hums like it's supposed to it's when you're getting filled up from from the divine from taking care of yourself from like being good to yourself from listening to your inner voice to not punishing yourself with your thoughts like all of those things are what fill you up um or maybe what fills you up is surfing um, <laughs> all those uh, the, well the two of you then the two of you own your paths as mature healthy individuals and then when you come together you can go have a curry like then you have some there's some you can go you can now you can get stuff done or I mean maybe there are some things that are helpful to address but when you're coming at it from a place of being filled up then I think you're much more likely to laugh about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then, then get defensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then start keeping the scorecard. Then start, like... That's good. That's good. Right. So, we can also go back to, like, you being able to laugh about, like, our fingers still attached? <laughs> Oh, we're still laughing about that. Um, thank you for coming on the Robcast. I'm thank always you for being happy fantastic. to walk into the back house. Your wisdom never ceases to move me. Oh, thank it's you. Interesting part, it's interesting. Like it's like inter- asking you questions. I see how much of my own path and growth has been shaped by what's happening in you. It's just, it's astonishing. It's oh, really thank astonishing. You. Yeah. Yeah. 24 years. <laughs> 24 years. So much love. Okay, Robcast friends. That was me interviewing Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell on the 2-4. Uh, and uh, obviously, you, you see the fantastic wisdom that she brings all the time. So, uh, what joy for me to make this so that you could hear some of that. 
So, my friends, this has been another Robcast. Grace and peace be with you.